Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, January the 17th, 2024. A couple of days ago, seems like a century, but it was only two days ago. Did a show with my old friend, the Los Angeles Times book critic, Bethan Patrick, on 10 must-read books for 2024, five non-fiction, five fiction. One of the books she included was uh, a book, a new book by the philosopher, the Berkeley philosopher, Judith Butler, called Who's Afraid of Gender? I joked with uh, Bethan that it probably should be called Who's Afraid of Judith Butler? Uh, Bethan wasn't particularly amused. Uh, I, I have to admit, I haven't read the book. Uh, Naomi Klein said it was a profound, it is the book, a profoundly urgent intervention. I always think when you describe books as urgent, they're usually not worth reading. But anyway, one person who doesn't seem to be particularly afraid of either gender or of Judith Butler is my guest today. He's also, uh, and that's Judith Butler, he is also a professor of philosophy. Butler's at Berkeley. My guest, Alex Byrne, is a professor of philosophy at MIT. And he has a new book out called Trouble with Gender. Uh, it's quite controversial, quite critical, I think, in some ways of Gender studies, probably going to get him into trouble, probably get me into trouble too. He is joining us from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Alex, congratulations on the book. Thanks very much, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. So I assume you know Judith Butler. Unfortunately, I don't know her personally, but I do discuss her in the book. So her book, Who's Afraid of Gender, um, what do you think she would think of your book, uh, Trouble with Gender? Should they be read side by side, different takes on a similar subject? They they could be. Um, I think, uh, from what I can make out, Judith Butler's book uh, illustrates a point that I make in my own book, Trouble with Gender, namely that the word gender is extremely slippery and nothing but confusion can come if you use it to mean anything other than sex, male and female. Butler herself certainly doesn't use it that way. And if you think about the, the title of Butler's book, Who's Afraid of Gender? It's an extremely odd title um, because whatever you meant by gender, um, here's, here's one thing you could mean by it, one thing that has been meant historically, um, this was uh, the definition given by the UCLA psychiatrist Robert Stoller in 1968, masculinity and femininity. If that's what you meant by gender, then it seems a bit odd to, um, to ask, well, who's afraid of masculinity and femininity? Surely people aren't afraid of that. Another thing you might mean by gender is gender identity. Um, in fact, indeed, Butler herself has written, sometimes the word gender is used to mean gender identity. But again, that seems to be uh, nothing much to be afraid of. Well, when it comes to fear, as I half joking said, the book should be titled, Who's Afraid of, Who's Afraid, Not a Friend, Who's Afraid of Judith Butler? Partly because 
yeah. a lot of this work is actually rather hard to pierce uh, from what you said, from what I can make out. Totally right. uh, I'm guessing you're probably suggesting that she's hard to understand. But also this brings out people's intolerance. People seem to be enormously, um, I don't know what the word is, sensitive, shall we say, to what one says about gender. Are you arguing in your book, Trouble with Gender, that gender has replaced sex or political ideology uh, as the third rail uh, in the university? Well, it's certainly a third rail. Um, it's a third rail in my own discipline of philosophy. Uh, you'll, you'll have heard of the British philosopher uh, Kathleen Stock, who taught at the University of Sussex in the UK, yeah, the co-author oh, of the, yeah. the Lesbian yeah. Project. Yeah, she she's moved on. She's moved on to other things now. And despite being a progressive, left-wing or centrist lesbian, she was cancelled by many of her colleagues in philosophy when, in around 2018. She started raising some very mild, skeptical questions about the reform of the uh, 2004 Gender Recognition Act, which would have resulted in a form of gender self-identification in, in the UK. And Stock was opposed to that, or at least was raising some questions about it. And even that um, mild level of pushback against orthodoxy uh, brought a... Uh, hail of fire and brimstone upon her head and she was essentially driven out of her um, job at Sussex after about three years of this in 2021. You talk about a mild level pushback against orthodoxy. I'm suggesting that this is the equivalent of some sort of show trials of the past back to the middle of the 20th century, uh, communists and fascists or uh, post-reformation. Post Why does this bring out so much passion and perhaps intolerance and intellectual violence? What is it about this issue that resulted, for example, you mentioned Kathleen Stark, a lesbian being chased out of the University of Sussex. We all know, of course, the story of J.K. Rowling, the author of uh, Harry Potter, who I, I saw a headline today or earlier from uh, October of last year saying that she would happily do prison time for her controversial transgendered views. She said it'd be more fun than I've ever had on a red carpet. I don't know how much fun you can have on a red carpet. But um, why, why, in all seriousness, I mean, you know this stuff, Alex, better than I do. What is it that brings out such anger, passion, perhaps intolerance? Well, I think it's partly to do with the fact that, of course, for many people, it's extremely, extremely personal. I mean, for transgender people, it's, it's extremely personal. And if you, if you couple that with, um, with the idea that there's this sort of hierarchy of marginalized groups and, um, Transgender people are, as it were, the very top of that hierarchy being some of the most marginalized. And it's uh, sort of axiomatic if you're on the progressive left 
to protect the most marginalized with whatever weapons you can bring to bear. So when someone like J.K. Rowling is perceived as um, pushing back on the demand that, say, transgender women uh, uh, should compete in the female sporting category, this is viewed as an attack on the most vulnerable members of, of society. Well, that's the, the most sense I can make of it, uh, which is probably not so what, much. So let, let's take the J.K. Rowling example, who, again, correct me if I'm wrong, because it is not an area of expertise for me, but she seems to be arguing that you can physically change your sex from male to female or from female to male, but we're all born with a core gender, which for better or worse, we can't discard or liberate. Is that a fair summary of, of Rowling's argument? I think it's, I mean, in, in a way, I think it's the other way around. I mean, she thinks that, uh, that you can't change sex, that if you're born a male, uh, you can undergo various uh, surgical and medical procedures to, so your body cosmetically resembles the body of a female but in so doing you haven't you haven't literally changed sex some animals do change sex like well, i think that's what i meant maybe i didn't express yeah it. yeah sure yeah yeah another maybe the, maybe you just inadvertently illustrated how how confusing things get if you use gender to mean anything other than other than sex which i think you did when you just asked that question uh, so yeah, so I so on the one hand she thinks uh, you can't change sex. On the other hand, she certainly recognizes that some people, a very small minority, suffer from gender dysphoria, distress at their sexed bodies, and that one way of uh, of relieving that is to transition to the other sex, by which we mean we by which we don't mean literally become the other sex, but rather live as the other sex, perhaps alter your uh, your body, so it resembles uh, the body of uh, of the other sex. She has nothing against that in uh, in principle. I mean, Rowling is another example, along with Stock, of someone whose views are really so remarkably mild um, and should be well within the uh, the mainstream of, of public discourse. It's truly astounding how. Uh, she has been um, vilified and and monstered. You'd th you'd have thought she was the devil incarnate. But if you read um, various things uh, she's she's written, it's extremely extremely tame stuff by any reasonable standard. Alex, how how do we summarize this? I mean, I I, I could fancy being a woman for a, certainly a few minutes. Um, but I don't believe that I I was born a woman and that somehow I need to fix myself to go back to my natural gender. Is there a an orthodoxy in terms of this this issue of of gender or transgender? Is it a return to one's natural state, or is it just a twenty first century version of travel? <laughs> Well, um, I think the I think the orthodox view is that um, it is, if you like, a, a, a sort of return to one's natural state. I mean, on the orthodox view, everyone has a gender identity, 
which may or may not be aligned with their sexed body. Typically, it is aligned, and in those people uh, in whom gender identity and, and sex are aligned, um, those, those are the, the so-called cisgender people. And then we have a very small minority of so-called transgender people in whom uh, gender identity and sex do, uh, do not align. And when they do not align, this causes gender dysphoria or distress, and the best way of fixing it, at least in many cases, is to alter the body to match the gender identity. So uh, I think on the on the on the orthodox picture, um, uh, you when you, if you're if you're transgender and 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 you transition, you're essentially just like fixing some natural misalignment uh, that was present when you were when you were very young. I don't think that orthodox picture is correct. I argue in the book that that's not the standard conception of gender uh, identity is really a myth. But on the orthodox picture, at least the whole thing, um, the whole thing makes sense. And you can give a very simple story about why some people transition to live as the other sex. Um, you're a philosopher, serious philosopher, you're at MIT, you've written all sorts of books about the history of philosophy. Is there a, a tradition here that we can trace that makes sense of this? I like to blame everything on Rousseau. Um, can we go back to Rousseau and his obsession with the self and some sort of truth and unhappiness and nostalgia for a previous state? Where does this argument begin? Yeah, that that is an excellent question. I mean, instead of Rousseau, you, you could trace, in a way, uh, the, um, uh, a lot of this picture back to uh, back to Descartes, the seventeenth-century French philosopher who thought the mind was distinct from the body. So the mind is an immaterial thing; the body is a material thing. And according to Descartes, the body and the mind uh, harnessed together. Uh, in some in some mysterious way, and even though Descartes himself didn't believe that the immaterial mind had a sex, uh, you can think of the orthodox picture of gender identity as introducing the idea of a kind of sexed immaterial soul or mind, which is harnessed to a sexed body, and then when the sex of the immaterial mind doesn't match the sex of the material body, then you have gender dysphoria. And then uh, since on the Cartesian view, you really are your mind. That's the thing that you are. Right. So it's a kind of logical, yeah. it's, 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 it's almost an absurd logical conclusion of Cartesianism. Yeah, in a way, in a way. Although, yeah, just to repeat, this wasn't Descartes. This wasn't Descartes' own. Yeah, I'm sure Descartes wasn't. But if you were to read back into the history of uh, of philosophy, some philosophical view that sort of fits a lot of the talk about a lot of the contemporary talk about sex and gender and gender identity, then it would be Cartesianism. And then, with the materialism of the 18th century, would that be a, a, a response? I mean, with the traditional 18th century materialists, would they would they be able? Yeah, to I suppose in a way. It? Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't obviously pre pre you shouldn't press these comparisons 
too hard, but um, one th one thing to emphasize because I, th I think it's true is that we we are animals. We're uh, just a very smart kind of mammal, and um, uh, the sex of a of an animal is just a, is just a bodily matter. It's not a matter of your of your psychology. But why couldn't we use other variables? Color of hair. Obviously, there's the color of the skin. There's sexuality. What is it about gender? And I guess you, I know you address this in the book, Trouble with Gender. What is it about gender that makes it uh, so, so seemingly more important than those other accidental attributes? Well, that, yeah, right. Um, I mean, I think the answer is, as it were, as it were, staring us in the face, namely that uh, it's true. It's true that we have all these other attributes um, uh, from hair color, eye color, height, weight, skin color, race, occupation, and some of these are like socially uh, significant. Some of them are pretty inconsequential, like like eye color. Um, some of them, like race, uh, are socially uh, significant. Um, you, you might you might regret that. You might think, well, gosh, um, the amount of emphasis we place on race, especially in in America, um, especially in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where you yeah, do. right, Is, yeah, right. Um, maybe you're thinking of the recent resignation of Claudine Gay. Uh, as president of up the road, up Mass Ave, right. Um, so, uh, actually, it suddenly occurs to me this isn't this isn't such a bad analogy. So, um, you might have this. Indeed, it was Martin Luther King, King Day not that long ago. You might have this Martin Luther King vision, where uh, we become essentially colorblind and that the race of someone is of no more importance than their than their eye color. Okay, that seems at least not ridiculous to hope that that might uh, that that might happen. But here's another feature that we have. we are we are sexed beings. You and I are male and Claudine Gay, Kathleen Stock and JK. Rowling and Judith Butler, although she might deny it, are all female. And they would deny uh, it. Well, she might. She, she she has very strange views about sex. She thinks it's in some sense socially. Yeah, she says. Uh, she said on YouTube anyway that your behavior creates your gender. Yeah, that's right. That's a that's a performative theory of of gender, which I I discussed that briefly in the book. But anyway, we we are we are sex beings, and if you just think about it for a bit, that is really not something. Um, you can realistically expect to become as inconsequential as eye color. Some second wave feminists of the 1970s had this sort of fantasy of a post-sex world where we didn't care who was male or, or female. But really, that is totally unrealistic. I mean, for one thing, the vast majority of the population are sexually attracted to um, people of the other sex. It's not as if um, sex can be excised from social or cultural life as, you know, eye color 
uh, more or less is. And I think that's really the root of uh, of the explanation of why all these gender issues are so sensitive and important and cause so much uh, uh, kerfuffle. We are speaking with Alex Byrne, the author of Trouble with Gender. If you're watching this, it looks as if Alex is speaking from a bomb shelter underneath uh, MIT. Maybe he is. Uh, although so far he hasn't said anything outrageous, although what do I know? Um, so far, well, I'll try. Well, well, we'll have to be a little bit more outrageous, Alex. I only booked you because I wanted some trouble with gender. Um, <laughs> we're gonna remind everyone that uh, when you're looking for trouble, look no further than Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics, it deals with the trouble with gender, the trouble with race, the trouble with religion, the trouble with politics. Excellent publication. Everyone who appears on the show is going to get a complimentary annual subscription, including Alex Byrne. I'm going to run a short feature, and then we'll be back with Alex Byrne, a philosophy professor at MIT, to talk about his new book, Trouble with Gender. Don't change your gender. We've only got about 30 seconds before the second half of the show. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties, it's not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. You can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're speaking with Alex Byrne, professor of philosophy, very distinguished professor of philosophy at MIT, as the nerve as a man and a male academic to write a book, Trouble with Gender. The book has been acclaimed already by none other than Grace Lavery, a, an associate professor of English at UC Berkeley, um, who, uh, who called it a banger. Um, uh, uh, perhaps uh, before she transed, Grace Lavery was Benny Hill. Not sure on that one. Uh, others don't agree, though. Some of the other reviewers um, let's find some negative reviews, uh, some entertainingly uh, negative reviews, um, suggesting that um, let's find these negative reviews. They mean maybe Judith Butler took them out. Um, I can't find them. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. There, there was. Uh, yeah, it's a really uh, terrible book. A really terrible book that will be harmful to the publisher's reputation. His academic work on this topic seriously misunderstands the arguments of those that he discusses, and is therefore viewed as extremely poor by those who know the field. It shouldn't be published. Um, Polity, who published it, still went ahead. What is it? about the book that pissed people off or that will piss people off, Alex. This is well, clearly a religious war, and I don't really understand all the nuances here. No, that's right. I think um, I think a lot of the reason why uh, some of my colleagues are very irritated with me is that uh, there's a lot of criticism in the book of contemporary orthodoxy and philosophy and gender studies over the topic of sex and gender. 
So, I mean, just to give you an example, um, it's it's orthodoxy in uh, the philosophy of sex and gender and in gender studies that whatever it is to be a woman, it is not to be an adult human female. That's not what women are. Women are not adult human females. Exactly what they are, uh, scholars and experts disagree about. But one thing that they are pretty much unanimous on is that women are not the mature females of our species. And well, I don't uh, understand what that means. So, are, are, are men not adult male species? Is there a difference? No, uh, no, they are not. No, they're not. What goes for women goes for men too. It's not that women are. What does that mean? Especially they're not adult. Well, they're not adult human females. Okay, so one view suggested by the dictionary is that to be a woman is simply to be an adult, mature female of our species. That's all that it takes to be a woman. You don't need to think of yourself in a certain way. You don't need to live in a society of any kind. You don't need to be treated by others in a particular way. Um, that's a very simple view of just what it takes to be a woman. In that respect, um, a woman on this view is like um, is like a ewe, e w e, uh, a fe an, an adult female sheep. To be a ewe is just to be an adult female sheep. You don't have to be um, regarded in a certain way, or think of yourself in a certain way, or live in a, sh uh, a sheep society of any particular kind in order to be a ewe. And then similarly, for being a woman. That's my view. That is the view of many people on the outside of academia, but it is not the view of specialists in the philosophy of sex and gender. It's certainly not the view of, of Grace Lavery, who I um, discuss in the book and who was very much an antagonist of uh, Kathleen Stock. Well, she said it was she, a banger of a book. Yeah, she did. That was... Um, I. <laughs> With a with and apologies, Grace. Please miss a heartbreaking <laughs> work of staggering penis. Which, <laughs> That's right. Is there really such a person as Grace Lavery? Yeah, it is. It is, it is of, hard. Not of A.K. Rowling, but maybe of Kingsley Amis or something. Yes, it is hard to believe that that great that Professor Lavery is 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 not a fictional character from yeah. Um, if Kingsley Amos were alive today. Uh, or David Lodge, of course, who wrote that famous Changing Places about Berkeley. I mean, David he, Lodge, yeah, that's right. He, he that's needs right. to yeah. write a book. I mean, I'm sure there have been lots of, of novels. So, No, that's exactly right. No, Grace did, uh, who's also British, actually, uh, I, I believe banger is a British expression. It, it, is, it is complimentary. But uh, she did well, tweet that out. If it's Benny Hill, it's complimentary. <laughs> She did tweet that out, um, as well as some slightly less positive things. But just for the purposes of sticking it on, sticking it on well, my uh, webpage, I selectively uh, quoted her. Yeah, I don't. I, I still, and, and it's probably because I'm a dumb white male, Alex. But let's take a classic 18th century text, Robinson Crusoe. I think it was 18th century. A man shows up. A man is on a desert island alone, or it could be Rosa. Crusoe, yes. a woman. Yes. Ah, is the man, is Robinson Crusoe or Rosa Crusoe who live alone on this island, are they different from the yes. males or females of society? Yes. 
Okay, that is a that is a really terrific example. So on the on the standard view, believe it or not, in philosophy and uh, and gender studies, being a woman is somewhat like being an actress or um, being being a housemaid or being a queen in that in order to be an actress or in order to be a queen or in order to be a housemaid, you have to live in a society of a certain kind. If you just grew up on a desert island, um, you couldn't grow up to be a queen. You couldn't grow up to be an actress. You need to, in order to be an actress, you've got to be embedded in a society with some tradition of the dramatic arts. So your, your example is, is quite brilliant. Um, I mean, it's perfectly on point. This view predicts, I mean, the orthodox view predicts that if a human being like Tarzan of the Apes, if you remember Tarzan of the Apes, if a human being grew up uh, somehow alone on a desert island, um, you know, was somehow washed ashore in a, um, when six months old on a desert island and somehow fended for itself and grew up, to be an adult female, that individual would not be a woman any more than the individual would be an actress. And that's um, our friend, um, our mutual friend, Judith Butler's argument. So what are you saying? What's what's your argument? Well, well, my argument is that, well, A, that's wrong. Um, that view is wrong. And you can see that it's wrong. I mean, for all sorts of reasons. One reason is um, I mean, think of them as as competing theories. So one one theory says to be a woman is to be an adult human female. Another theory says that to be a woman is well, it's something like being an actress or being a queen, at any rate, occupying a social position of some kind, or maybe having a uh, maybe having a a, um, a gender identity of a certain kind, being in a certain psychological condition. Maybe that's what what uh, makes you a, a woman. So we have these competing theories. And just like in science, we can compare competing theories by looking at their predictions and seeing if they match reality. And so one prediction of the adult human female view is that, a, uh, is that an adult female on a desert island, Rosa instead of um, Rosa Crusoe instead of Robinson Crusoe, would indeed be a woman. And that seems, of course, that seems right. Obviously, that seems right. Uh, whereas the opposing view has the wrong prediction, namely that this person would would not be a, uh, a woman. So there's a whole bunch more arguments along those lines. It, 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 what, I mean, you're a philosopher, so you're in the business of semantic distinctions. How much of this is just academic froth, uh, Alex? I mean, how much of it is a lot of overpaid professors like you arguing <laughs> over nonsense? Well, how how do you think I'm going to answer that question? I don't know, because on a way, in a way, you're arguing against it, but you're you could also argue you're part of the stupid problem. Why write? No, the that's book? true. No, half it's people not. in the world will right. think is stupid, wrong, and half will agree with. You're not going to convince anyone. Well, I uh, that 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 may be right, but I, I I think one reason why I wrote the book is. To, to show whether or not you agree with my arguments, 
um, at least you can argue sensibly about these issues. You know, you can have an mm. argument about whether sex is binary, and you can bring evidence and reason to bear on that question. You can have an argument about what a woman is. You can again bring evidence and reason to bear on that question. You can have a sensible discussion about whether everyone has a gender identity and whether gender dysphoria is caused by a mismatched, a mismatch between one's gender identity and one's sex body. And that's the way to make progress. If you look at what's been happening on social media as far as sex and gender goes, you know, the the quality of the discussion, insofar as there is a discussion as opposed to just a shouting match, has been terrible. Um, but there's no reason why it should be terrible. These questions are just are, are as amenable to evidence and reason as uh, as any other question. And also it's not. Uh, just to finish the thought, it it's not that um, these questions like what is a woman are viewed by the public as somehow inconsequential or um, as just semantics or as extremely boring, um, you know, questions that, that only overpaid professors would be interested in. Or probably underpaid, you... actually. Philosophy professors <laughs> are underpaid. I'm they? not paid as much as, as Claudine Gay, who apparently is pulling down well, $900,000 yeah. a year. Or probably as Judith, uh, Judith Butler as well, I bet. She, no, I'm sure. No, I'm absolutely sure that's right. I'd be happy to exchange paychecks with, with uh, Professor Butler. But, um, you know, the, the what is a woman question has, of course, been used as a kind of gotcha question for politicians on both sides of the Atlantic, although I think it started in our home country of, of the UK. Uh, so um, rightly or wrongly, that that question itself is is viewed as significant. We can't blame by, it all on Mrs. Thatcher, can we? I'm sorry? Can we blame it all on Mrs. Thatcher? Most people try to blame everything on Mrs. Thatcher. Oh, I see. <laughs> no, I don't think we can blame this one on Mrs. Thatcher, actually. Although she behaved, I don't know what she would be. If Margaret Thatcher was washed up and she was Margaret Crusoe, I wonder whether <laughs> she'd be male or female. We'll never know. Right. It's interesting in terms of mainstream stuff. I saw you wrote, you, you wrote Gender Critical Philosophy, a defense in a magazine called Area with some images on the front that really reminded me of Barbie. Of course, Barbie is massively successful i think the most successful movie in history it's going to win a lot of oscars how is this playing out in all seriousness um alex in mainstream culture with movies like barbie where a lot of these themes have been popularized um in a, in a dramatic and, and in some ways rather interesting way yeah, that's right. Um, actually, I went uh, I went to see Barbie with with high expectations, but I don't know if you've seen it. I, did, I didn't really yeah. like it. I thought it was you know, well. I thought it was too long, and the musical numbers were tedious. Although Margot Robbie was excellent. Mm. Um, I mean, it does. Of course, they tried to put this feminist spin on the whole thing, but the movie does. Um, the, the movie only works to the extent that it does because um at least on average males and females of our species are very different and that's 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 brought out quite quite effectively in in the movie if males and females weren't very different in our species if if our species wasn't sexually dimorphic in the in the jargon 
not every species is, like many species of birds, um, are not sexually dimorphic. The males and the females are very, very similar. You know, a bird can tell them apart. That's not true uh, for humans. Um, if we were very it similar... If you're in Berkeley or Cambridge, you, you no. may need to... <laughs> that may be right. That may be right. Also, where but I if, am you know, if we were very if we were very similar... Yeah. Um, but if, um, so in a way, Barbie, Barbie just illustrates uh, why the issue of, of sex differences in what respects are men and, men and women different, how much of this is due to culture, how much of this is due to innate biology or nature. Um, they're just a perennial interest and they will, they will never, ever go away. But I wonder so, if there's also um, something else going on here. And um, we've only really talked about women and Judith Butler. Uh, Barbie is a film about women and women's empowerment, one kind or another. Uh, but it seems as if women are doing a lot better than men these days. More and more books and features, we've done them on the show, on the struggle of men to survive and compete right. and be happy in the 21st century. Is this focus, if you look at it politically, Alex, is the focus on women and gender, is that really a reflection of the shift in power? So the, ortho, the, the ideological orthodoxy that you talk about is also mirrored in socioeconomic or sociosexual orthodoxy and the shift in power structures. Yes, I think I think that's right. Um, I mean, it's worth noting that, as far as philosophy goes, the um, the specialists in the philosophy of sex and gender tend to work in a smallish area of philosophy called feminist philosophy. And given that name, it's not surprising that the vast majority of them are women. So the uh, the academy, which for many years, of course, was very largely male, and that included included philosophy, um, has comparatively recently undergone a pretty dramatic uh, dramatic transformation with many um, female university presidents, many women in positions of power in administration, and many many more female faculty members and uh that has certainly um certainly altered the um the university i mean in, in many respects i should say for for the better i mean it was of course ridiculous that um women were effectively excluded um from the professions from getting a proper education for uh, for so long i mean they weren't even allowed to go to medical school for most of the most of the 19th century in the uk um but um you know human societies are are uh, complicated things and that includes the relationship between men and women and in many respects as you were just noting um women have have overtaken men and, and men are uh, struggling particularly in in education i think in the 
in the US, about 60% of university undergraduates are uh, women. Finally, Alex, um, let's imagine the future. Can we vault over gender? Is it imaginable, particularly with all this new technology, biotech, that gender itself will be a curious feature of history and that in 50 or 100 years, people will look back and think, oh my God, that was a weird time where there were men and women. <laughs> I mean, in a way, you're looking forward to some transhumanist future where which isn't that unrealistic where you can no, it spend isn't. a week as a man a week as a woman a week as a mix you go into the shop like a car and have a tune-up of one kind or another no that's right no it certainly um bodily transformation isn't going away and is going to become more and more sophisticated as technology does with time but the look i mean the the fundamental fact is that um uh, i mean on the one hand babies need to get made maybe we can make those in 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 test tubes but the other fact is that um sexual orientation sexual attraction attraction to members of one's own sex or the the other sex or both sexes is not just some accidental feature of human beings that we can easily uh, expunge. I mean, particularly in males who have a, particularly in men who have a, um, a very fixed uh, sexuality compared to females. So males in particular, or the vast, well, all of them are going to have some kind of sexual orientation. They're going to be sexually interested in females, or they're going to be sexually interested in, uh, in males. And even Grace Lavery. Well, let's set aside Professor Lavery. That's a complicated. There will always be complicated. There will always be complicated cases, but uh, I mean, just that fact alone should show you that uh, even if the technology comes around, so we could all become uh, physically androgynous, it would be most unwise to go in for that. You know. Uh, your your love life is going to drop off if you if you change your body sufficiently so that no one can tell you whether no no one can tell whether you're male or female anymore. No more bangers, Alex. In other words, <laughs> that's right. Well, in that sense, right.